The title of today's message is Man of Lawlessness. And if you want to go turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be reading from there. Um, I would also encourage you, if you haven't been able to be here every Sunday for the last several Sundays, to um, go onto the back of the bulletin. You see there's a link to SoundCloud. Um, go there and listen to a lot of those previous messages because it deals with all kinds of stuff that's going on right now in our world that God was able to write down thousands of years ago. And that's what we've been doing for the last few weeks. We've been going over the current events that are happening here in America and especially overseas in Israel and um, the Middle East from a prophetic and biblical standpoint. And I mentioned a few weeks ago that I had actually, at the beginning of this year, had um, planned to talk a lot about the kingdom of darkness during this time. I was going to get into demons, spiritual warfare, different things like that, the origin of Satan and and all that kind of stuff uh, during this time. But then the war in Israel started, and I felt a strong leading from God to switch gears and talk about that because that has a direct impact on all of our futures. I believe it was Dwight Moody who said that the most effective preaching is done with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. So I'm kind of following his advice during this time. And one of the ways that I've started to prepare uh, this series is researching from a different kind of Bible. This is a Bible, okay? This is the exact Christian Bible, but written from a Jewish perspective. So it's actually really interesting, like instead of, in a Christian Bible, for example, you might just read God said, they would actually use the proper name that was written in the Hebrew instead of just God. So instead of God, it may say something like Adonai Sebeol, which would be the Lord Almighty, or the God Almighty. So different, or Lord Almighty. So it's just different um, things like that. But it does help bring things out in the way that um, the Jewish people look at the scriptures. And it's been my primary study to interpret what's been going on, uh, both in our nation and in the nation of Israel. And I will say, in all honesty, I've never studied, researched, or prayed more over a series and, or sermons like I have on these. Because it's just so directly affecting our lives. And it's going to be affecting our lives from here on out. So review where we've come from. On October 19th, we answered the question, are we living in the end times? That lesson, we looked at how our American society has made this slow plunge into darkness along with the rest of the world. And now we're reaping what has been sown. We're reaping all the hatred, the division, the deception, and the depravity that's been coming in like a flood. A few weeks ago on the 26th, we looked at the history of this conflict overseas by studying Abraham and Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. We also saw how the Arabic acronym Hamas, I don't know if you, if you knew that, it's an, actually an acronym in Arabic meaning the Islamic resistance movement, but it's also a word in Arabic which means zealous And it's also a word in Hebrew, and this is the interesting part. The word in Hebrew means a depraved, wicked, and excessive violence. 
So that is very interesting. It's also very interesting that the first place it's ever used in the Bible is Genesis chapter 6. If you remember, Genesis chapter 6 said that the Lord looked down and said that man had all been filled with Hamas, with excessive violence. And what did God do? He pushed reset on the entire planet. So this is what the spirit that we are dealing with, with, with what's going on in Israel right now. And since all this has happened, war has started to rage throughout Israel. And we are undoubtedly seeing what the Bible describes as the final years before the tribulation. So some in the church, and even people that, that aren't even Christians, are asking me the question when I'm at work, is the Antichrist here? Is this guy coming? Is this guy going to be like Damien in the Omen? Or is he going to be like uh, Nikolai Carpathia in the Left Behind series? I mean, who, who, who is this guy going to be? Is, is this person rising right now? Well, interestingly, we're not the only people who ask this question. The early church had the same question. And 2 Thessalonians deals a lot with the, this very uh, situation of a man coming that would be anti-Christ, anti-Christian. And I know we think that we have it tough today, but keep in mind the early church lived during a time and when 2 Thessalonians was written, Nero was the emperor of Rome. Nero's favorite thing to do was to take Christians, uh, cover them with pitch, run them through with a stake, set them in his garden to light his garden so he could see it at night. So yes, we have it tough, but this was the world that Paul was writing to when he wrote 2 Thessalonians. Now obviously, Nero wasn't the Antichrist, but he definitely had that kind of spirit working within him. So this question, who is the Antichrist? Who is this, this man of lawlessness? And is he alive today? Isn't a new one. It's been asked many times <coughs> throughout church history. Probably the biggest one most recently was during World War II when Hitler seemed to be the logical candidate for that role. Especially after we found out after the war was over, it wasn't widely known about the concentration camps. It wasn't widely known that six million Jews had been slaughtered during his reign over Germany at that time. So we see what's happening in the world. We start looking around. Is the Antichrist here? Is it this person? Is it that person? Who is it? Who's it going to be? Well, the short answer is right now we can't be sure. My feeling, and it's just a feeling, is that he is alive and working behind the scenes until his time has come. And that brings us to today, that brings us to today's main scripture. In his second epistle to the Thessalonian church, Paul gives us some hints as to what to look for in the man who will be the earthly representation of Satan until he's completely possessed by him in the last uh, three and a half years of the tribulation. So let's see what God has to show us this morning. As we read words that were written almost 2,000 years ago, but they have incredible timeliness to the world we live in today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. 
Paul writes, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, but now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. <coughs> the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that they will all be condemned who, who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And Father God, I ask, Lord, that you would clearly speak to our spirits this morning. I ask, Father, that you would take away all the news, you would take away all the, the fear-mongering and all the arguing and all that, that junk that the enemy is trying to fill our lives with, and that you would enable us to hear your word this morning. That it would bring comfort to us, Father, that the world isn't spinning out of your control. It's simply following a prophetic calendar you have already set. Father God, use your word this morning to encourage us, to equip us, and to help us stand in these last days. Stand firm for the truth of the gospel. Lord God, we ask this in your name. Amen. One of the reasons I'm bringing this subject to you today is that something actually caught me by surprise over the last week or so. And that is the incredible rise of anti-Semitism. It, blow, it blows my mind right now how, how this is going on and how this is being championed, especially in our younger people, college-aged people. In every Western company, there are huge demonstrations calling for the, that are chanting from the river to the sea. If you don't know what that means, the Jordan River is Israel's eastern boundary. The Mediterranean Sea is their western boundary. They are calling for the entire eradica eradication of the entire nation of Israel and everyone in it. So when you hear college students right now chanting from the river to the sea, they're calling for genocide of an entire people. That's the spirit of Hamas that is penetrating our, our college kids today. And these Americans, as I said, they're typically around college age, but there seems to be suspiciously a lot of people in these demonstrations who are military age males, and they're finding out that a lot of these aren't citizens or people who have crossed the border over the last two or three years. They got lost in the shuffle of all these people crossing the border. And even I saw news footage this week of People marching under swastikas right now. Openly marching under swastikas. Swastikas. 
That twisted cross, representing one of the most evil regimes that ever existed on earth, people are marching with it, proudly displaying it. It's now being celebrated in our culture. <clears throat> I remember growing up, a kid drew a swastika on a, on a piece of paper. He got expelled from school. That was such a hated symbol and, and never to be used again. Now people are marching under it. This is part of that spirit of Hamas, that evil, wicked, and depraved violence that's gripped so many of our young people and even many of our politicians. And you say, well, what is happening? What, why is this happening? What, what, where's the end game to all this? Well, that Hamas spirit is the preparatory spirit for the spirit of Antichrist. And the Antichrist spirit is one of complete lawlessness. To cast aside all restraint. So let's break down what we read today and see why this door is seemingly opening for the Antichrist to come into power. The first thing you see is in verse 6 and 7 that something had to be taken out of the way. Let's look at verse 6 and 7 again. And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who holds it back <coughs> will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. So let's dissect these two verses and correlate them with other scriptures we've studied over the last few weeks. And one huge point I do want to make. When we talk about end times, we have a tendency in our Americanness to be very American-centric in the way we view the world. But when we talk about the end times, about eschatology, and all these kind of things, we don't look to what's going on in America. I hate to tell you this, America doesn't appear in biblical prophecy at all. Some people try to stretch a little bit here and there, but it really doesn't appear. You need to look at what is going on in the area of Israel and around Israel to see where we are in God's prophetic end-time calendar. Keep that in consideration as we study these verses. In these verses, we see a criteria that is being met both in Israel and on a worldwide scale that is being met to allow for the rise of Antichrist. And the first one is simple, which is the what. As verse 6 said, you know what is holding him back. And, and you ask, well, what is the what? What's the what? The second verse reveals what the what is. That he may be revealed at the proper time. Now, living our lives, we often forget that behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, there are set times for events to happen. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible also says that there is, time, there is a, a time for man to die and then face judgment. Every one of us on God's calendar, sometime in the future, it says John dies, comes to heaven on that day. Just like he has it personally, he also has this for the world. These times were set from eternity past. Some of them were told about us in the Bible where we could recognize the times and the seasons that were going to happen. Some of them remain a mystery, like the exact time of the rapture, where we will be taken to heaven before the true end judgments come. 
So let me explain a little bit about how that works. How, do, how does God able to predict all this kind of stuff happening? Well, if you go into our basement and go um, just on the other side of the bathrooms, there's some things that are hanging up, and one of them is a Bible timeline. It goes from Genesis and goes all the way through Revelation. And if you look at, we can stand outside this timeline and we can look at this timeline, we can see all the spaces within that timeline and see the entire thing at once. That's how God sees the timeline. That's exactly how he sees the timeline. He exists outside of this dimension we call time. So he can look at the beginning, the end, and set times. And those times will come to pass. And God has ordained the time that will lead to the rise of Antichrist. And it's looking more and more like we are seeing that time coming to pass right now. So on to the next verse, there's a specific occurrence that has to happen in order for the Antichrist to rise. But before we go to that, we're going to back up a little bit and read verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians. And I'm going to read it in the NASB, and you'll see why in just a moment. <coughs> Excuse me again. Verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians 2 said, See that no one deceives you in any way, for it, the it is the Antichrist and the spirit that precedes him, will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Then the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now in many of the modern Bibles, they use the word the rebellion that will come. But when you look at the Greek word, it's talking about a spiritual or religious rebellion. Therefore, the word apostasy fits much better. Apostasy means that you are deliberately turning away from the truth to follow the lie. That's what apostasy means. And that's why I read it from that particular um, version of the Bible, because I think it gets it right. And what this Verse is showing is that the Antichrist can only rise when the church declines. The light of the gospel seen through the church is what has held back the forces of darkness from taking over worldwide. However, in the last several decades, as the church has declined in the world, that light has lessened. Without light, you have darkness. And the darkness is spreading. We talked a few weeks ago about how darkness is not a force within itself. It's simply absence of light. And as the light of the church has diminished, it's allowed the darkness and the powers of darkness to spread. And for sure, we've all had, we've had dark moments in our history. I love history. I love studying history. I love learning the history, uh, the history and the lessons behind what has happened in the past. We've had our world wars, we've had our, our terrorism, our genocides, we've had massive depravity in certain parts of the world. But what has happened only in certain dark corners of the world is now happening worldwide. It's infecting every single country on earth. And that's why we see one of the final things that is allowing the Antichrist to rise. And that's seen in the second part of verse 7 where it says that the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. So we've gone from a what to a person now. 
And that he that we are talking about that is being taken out of the way is the Holy Spirit. Now, we have to wrap our brains around this, that the Holy Spirit is not just an impersonal force. It's not Luke Skywalker's force where it just kind of exists out there and we have to channel it in. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells the individual lives of the people within the church. And when the people within the church choose to reject the Holy Spirit or resist the Holy Spirit, the light that is supposed to be shining through them diminishes and becomes less. And that was what is allowing this Antichrist spirit to to rise. And we saw this a few weeks ago when we studied the slide away from God that is occurring today. I encourage you to read it again. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. You see what happens when a world, a people, or even a person begins to slide away. There are several steps in there that you see that. And it reduces the Holy Spirit's influence on this earth. And it's that stimming of spiritual light that's allowing all this darkness to increase. You have to get rid of the light for the darkness to take over. And that's why we're seeing such an all-out assault on Judeo-Christian beliefs. An all-out assault on the practices and the morals that we believe in. That's why there's been a spirit of compromise within the church for over 40 years now. It's a well-planned, well-executed assault on the very foundation of Christ's church to weaken it until its influence and spiritual light is so muddy that the darkness can spread unopposed. That's why it's time, the time is now ripe for the Antichrist to rise. Another symptom that we are seeing today is that people are not only believing the lies, they prefer the lies. There's a preference to prefer the lies. They refuse to come to the truth. I mentioned a, a few moments ago, I'm a little bit of a history buff. And I remember reading and watching videos about World War II, about Hitler, was how he was able to sway Germany, a very largely religious people. Do you know the Protestant Reformation came out of Germany? They were proudly Lutheran, incredibly strong Lutheran people. Yet Hitler was able to sway them into depths of pure evil because they wanted to believe the lie. There was many historical reasons that people give because of their humiliating defeat in World War I and, and different things like that that led to, a, to them being ripe for a demagogue like Hitler to arise. But either way, they chose to believe the lie. Then as a Christian, I remember reading when I first got saved in the 90s, I read the fictional series of books called the Left Behind series in which several characters who didn't make it in the rapture had to go through the tribulation as believers. And they were running from the evil that surrounds them. I used to, to read, I, I read these books over and over and over and over again. I used to read them, and then when the movies came out, watch the Antichrist in those books, would give a speech, and everybody would cheer and believe every word he said, even though it was obviously a lie. I saw this uh, most uh, recently, a couple years ago, 
about how we've gotten to this point. Anybody remember the CNN reporter when the riots were going on? The CNN reporter standing in front of a building that had been set on fire by looters, and they were now setting fire and turning over cars right behind them, and he's saying, but the protests are largely peaceful. And people believed it. Even though right in front of their eyes, they could see it was not peaceful. I grew up in Kenosha. I can tell you it was not peaceful. But that is, they want to believe the lie. And over the last five years, we've watched our nation fall off the cliff of sanity to where it seems like everyone is believing the lie. And that leads us to the next sign of the rise of the Antichrist. It says that the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the works of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. You know, the world, and even sometimes the church, has a lot of wrong information. Now, when I say the church, I mean the church global, not this one, not necessarily the ones here in town, just the church in general throughout the world. We have a lot of wrong information about our enemy, and that's why I think largely it seems like he's winning at this time. When I was in the military, we had to go through something called PLDC and then BNOC, ANOC. There's just levels of uh, schools you go through depending what sergeant rank you're going for. And we learned that the first order of battle is to identify your enemy, identify their capabilities, and then identify their tactics. And if you know it, you can defeat them easily. So let's dive into knowing a little bit about the devil, also called Satan, the deceiver. And the first thing we do have to realize, he is a powerful being in his own right. Now, many Christians believe that Satan is chief among fallen angels. I would disagree with that. I don't think he's an angel technically at all. This is kind of a technical thing, but I think he is a, actually a cherub, which is a slightly higher order of creation than an angel. And I get this from Ezekiel uh, 28, 11 through 17. If you want to look that up later, it says that you were anointed, talking about Satan, as a guardian cherub. And you say, well, what's the difference? Why, why does that matter? Because by their created nature, human beings have a certain ability that raises us above everything else on earth. Obviously, we don't have... You know, the Marvel Universe has a raccoon that can fly spacecrafts and all that. Well, we don't have raccoons sitting here in church because they're not going to be able to understand a dang thing I say, right? We are the highest level of, of life on this earth. Well, heaven also has different levels of creations within that or the spiritual realm. And they have abilities that are higher than ours this side of eternity, and one of the reasons that I started really reading from the, a Jewish perspective is you learn about some of this kind of things. And one of the natural abilities of a cherub is spiritual magnetism. Cherubs, by their nature and creation, are meant to draw all of creation to glorify and worship God. Cherubs and seraphs surround the throne of God and lead other beings in worship of, of God the Father. Satan uses that innate ability and power, and he twists it to draw humanity to himself and away from God. 
That, combined with our fallen nature, is the reason why people are so quickly drawn toward evil. Also, because of him being a higher spiritual being, he has what we would consider supernatural or even miraculous powers within himself, just because of his created nature. Now, saying all of that, he is not God. He is not the yin to God's yang. He is not equal to God in any aspect at all. God, with the least amount of thought he has ever had, if he's capable of having a least thought, could blink Satan right out of existence right now if he so choose. Satan does have a great deal of power, power but he's not all-powerful. Okay, He's a created being. He's not omnipresent everywhere at once like God is. He is not <clears throat> um, omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's nowhere near as powerful as God. Even though he's more powerful than we are at this, on this side of eternity, he's a powerful devil. He's still God's devil. Okay? And the Bible illustrates this, and I love this story. In Revelation chapter 20, it says that a single angel, and I think that God, if there's ever a wimpy angel, he probably has him in reserve. He's going to tell that angel, grab Satan and bind him. Let me just show, show Satan one more time what, something, what any cre part of my creation empowered by me can do. And he's going to take that angel and he's going to bind Satan and lock him away for a thousand years. So keep that in mind. He's powerful, but he's not all powerful. Satan's going to use that power he has during the end time to lead many people away from the truth and embrace the lie. Remember, Jesus said he's the father of all lies. And he's going to set the stage for that master deceiver, the Antichrist, to rise and set in motion the tribulation. And the reason that he will be so effective, the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, will be so effective and why people will flock to follow him is seen in the second part of verse 10, where it says that they perish because they, the people, refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, and this also correlates with Romans chapter 1, verse right, right around verse 30, um, it says that for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so they'll believe the lie. so that they will all be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. That's the final step of that Roman slide into darkness we studied a few weeks ago. If you go back and, and listen to those messages and, and you read the scriptures that I've given you, you'll be shocked of how accurately the Bible predicts what is happening right now. We are right now especially in America, throughout the world really, but we're, we're experiencing it now in America, the passive wrath of God. The passive wrath of God, I call it kind of the Burger King judgment, where God withdraws, steps back and says, have it your way. He allows the light to dim. Active wrath of God is Sodom, Gomorrah, the flood. That's God throwing you know, ice or big rocks at us and, and different things. This is the passive wrath of God where he withdraws and lets the darkness spread. 
And that's when we become ripe for destruction. So what do we do knowing that the Antichrist, or at least the Antichrist spirit, is moving in our time? What do we do as the church? I'm going to end today by giving us not only uh, by giving us not only our key to survival, but our way to winning battles that are to come. And that is to be on guard. Jesus tells us throughout the Gospels, whenever he talks about the end times, he repeatedly says, be on guard and stand firm. Repeatedly he says this. We are repeatedly warned by Jesus and the writers of the Bible to stay awake, to stay alert and stand for the truth no matter what the world says about it or whatever threats come our way. Isaiah 7.9 says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. The time of the Antichrist is very close and his spirit is already here. And the call to compromise is going to be overwhelming for most of us. If you work in a, in a workplace right now, you're probably having to take sensitivity trainings about all kinds of stuff. I was called on, on the carpet at work up into the HR department a few weeks ago because somebody asked me my opinion on transgenderism and, and that kind of thing about what I thought the Bible said. And I talked quietly with this person who was sitting right next to me, but somebody overheard it and complained. So it's happening. And I stood firm. I said, yep. I said, how come in, in psychiatric practice, if somebody says the sky is pink with unicorns flying in it, we have to tell them, well, I understand you see that, but that's not what's actually happening. We say we don't buy into a person's delusion, except in transgenderism, we can, they can be whatever they want. We're committing a, a spiritual schizophrenia within, or a, a, a psychiatric schizophrenia within psychiatry when we talk about that. And I got, I got called on the carpet for it. But I'm just, I use that to, to just say it's coming. It's coming. I wouldn't be surprised in the next several years to having to sign something before you even work someplace that you will not discriminate against this or talk about it or do I believe this and, and, and purity tests of your purity, I say that with quotes, of how you exactly think. So I would encourage you, don't compromise what you know to be true to get along with the world because it's coming. Hold fast to the word of God no matter the consequence. That's the absolute number one way that the enemy is going to attack us in this near future. It's also the number one way we will win if we hold fast. Revelation 12.1 talks about the people that are coming into this time. And it gives the prescription of how they defeat that spirit of Antichrist. It says that they have defeated them by the blood of the Lamb. We have that. We're Christians. The blood of the Lamb is applied over us. It protects us into eternity. It also says, by the, word, by the word of their testimony, we stand for the truth no matter what else happens. And they did not love their lives here on earth so much that they were afraid to die for the truth. 
Revelation 12, 11. If you're ever thinking of getting a tattoo, that's a good one. I'm not, I'm not saying get a tattoo. I'm just waxing rhetorical, if you will. <laughs> Let's all rise. We're living in prophetic times right now. We're living in times that might call us to make sacrifices for the sake of Christ. So before it gets really, really difficult to do so, I implore you today, choose this day who you will serve. Choose you this day. Cement that decision right now in your heart, in your mind, and in your spirit. And ask God, God, I need that spiritual backbone within me that will stand for your truth, will stand for our Savior, will stand for your kingdom in these last days. No matter what consequences on earth that may come against me. I'm going to end today by praying a section of scripture over us from the Jewish Bible here. It's Ephesians 6, 13 through 16. You'll, most of you will probably recognize it as I begin to read it. So Lord God, this is my prayer for your people this morning. That they take up every piece of war equipment God provides. So that when the evil day comes, they will be able to resist. And when the battle is won, it was, is won for you, they will still be standing. Therefore, God's people stand. Have the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Put on the righteousness of God for a breastplate. And wear on your feet the readiness that comes from the good news of shalom, of peace. Soldiers of God always carry the shield of trust with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of deliverance along with the sword given by the Spirit that is the Word of God. Lord God, help them pray at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests in the Spirit vigilantly and persistently for all of God's people. Lord God, may we stand in these last days, no matter what the news says, no matter what pressure comes upon us from family, employers, neighbors, law enforcement, the government, whoever can, brings pressure that is contrary to you, that is, within, that is the spirit of Antichrist coming against us. Give us the ability to stand. And say, it is for Jesus Christ I stand. Amen. Amen. Lord God, I thank you. I bless your people now. Let them shine the light of Jesus into this community, Father, and into the world you've called them to. I thank you and I ask this in your name. Amen.